Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 726 with Mara Thomas. Mara is back sharing more wisdom about her empowered productivity system so you can master your attention, your to-do list, your inbox, reduce the stress, increase the victories. You'll learn one, how to regain control of your workday. Two, the wrong places you're putting your tasks. And three, how to really hit inbox zero. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we mentioned here, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP726. If you're hanging out at awesomeatyourjob.com, please check out some of our goodies like the Gold Nugget email list, which gives you a summary write-up of the good stuff Mora had to say, as well as unlocking the vault of all 726 of these summary write-ups. That's the gold nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's Mora's story. Mora Thomas is an award-winning productivity and time management speaker, author of two books, founder of Regain Your Time, and nationally recognized expert delivering her unique message that the key to productivity and effectiveness is attention management. She is a TEDx speaker, a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review, and was invited by one of the largest publishers in the world to literally write the book on productivity which is in fact three books. <laughs> Her work has appeared in hundreds of national media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Entrepreneur Inc., the Huffington Post, and so many more. Big thanks to Maura for sharing her wisdom with us. A big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Mara. Mara, welcome back to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Pete, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to chat through your wisdom about productivity, but it sounds like you might also have some wisdom about friendship. You have a group of eight friends that have been tight since elementary school. How did this come to be and what's the trick? Elementary school, yeah. I grew up in uh, just north of Boston. And for people who are from Boston, they know... It was a thing that just like the neighborhood, right? I mean, we spent all of our time out playing with all the other kids in the neighborhood, playing kickball and Relievio and all these fun games. And um, yeah, so so there was a core group of us. And then that got a little bit bigger as we went into elementary school from nursery school. And then that got a little one more person joined in junior high, one more person in high school. And so now there's, yeah, eight women, but um, actually two of the spouses of the eight women also grew up with us and went to school with us. So it's pretty great. And then there's sort of the extended circle still from high school. So it's really a blessing. 
Well, that's beautiful. So, and how, how do you like stay in touch? Is it like a, a group me or a text chain or just sort of like you bump into each other? How does that no, go? No, we have um, it's so many ways. We typically travel together, all of us, at least every couple few years. Oh, fun. Sometimes we'll do weekend getaways. We have many, 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 many group text chains for sure. And we have uh, an annual party at Christmas. Oh, cool. All of us. Yeah. Well, that's lovely. Well, it it sounds like uh, I think a lot of people say, wow, I don't know how I would possibly find the time for that. But uh, you have, in fact, written not just the book on productivity, but the three books. Uh, Last time we talked about attention management. Uh, Could you maybe zoom out and orient us to the full empowered productivity system and your three books here? Yeah, for sure. I teach what I call a workflow management system, but really you could think of it as a life flow management system. What a lot of people don't recognize is that the way we operate can be systematized. Most people show up at work or, you know, pad down the office to their, wherever their laptop is, right? And just sort of do what happens to them, right? They log into their Slack, they log into their email, they turn their phone on and just right? Everything hits us and we do whatever happens to us. But the way that we operate can be systematized. And when you can systematize that so that you have a process for managing everything, then everything gets easier and less stressful. So my system that I teach is called the Empowered Productivity System. And that's what the books cover, the Empowered Productivity System, three of the components of the system, attention management, action management, and communication management. Mm -hmm. And there's a book on each. And so each individually is certainly helpful, but together they're really exponentially powerful. That's lovely. Boy, so do what happens to us. That's a turn of a phrase that that resonates. And, And so that's one, boy, key distinction right there in terms of, you know, we don't have to live that that way. And there is an alternative. Can you tell us, are are any other sort of big surprises or counterintuitive discoveries or or things that most of us kind of get wrong about productivity? Yes. The biggest thing that people get wrong about productivity is that time management is how we will get more productive. So first we need to talk about what does productive mean? And and that's really hard to know for people who work in an office because what does that mean? Is it, is it how many emails I answer in a day? Is it how much of my to-do list I check off? What, what does productivity mean? Especially if you work in an office, right? If you work, if you're like a, a repair person or a builder, you can see your progress. I went to six houses today or I built this much of the house today. But if you work in an office, it's so much harder to tell. So the definition of productivity that I help people sort of recognize is it really comes from the dictionary. It's achieving a significant result. That's it. How productive you are is how much progress you have made on the results that are significant to you personally or professionally, whatever is important to you that day. Sometimes the most important thing and also the significance changes with the time horizon. So what's significant this minute, this hour, this day, this week, this year, this decade, this lifetime? And so when I talk about helping people be productive, I mean that I help people achieve more of their most significant results, whether it's today's result or whether it's 
the legacy that you will leave behind at the end of your life because that legacy is made in those moments. Did I have an impact? Did I make people feel loved? Did Was I kind? Those moments are when those things happen. That's the definition of productivity that, that I use. And your question was, what's the thing that people get wrong? We say that if I could only manage my time better, I would be more productive. But we've all had those days, Pete, right, where you say to yourself at the end of the day, oh my gosh, I got so much done. That was such a good day. Now, those days are few and far between for many of us, but we do say that, right? We, we know what that feels like. Most of the time, though, we have those days where we say, oh my gosh, I was busy all day and I got nothing done. But in those two days, we had the same 24 hours, same 24 hours. We didn't have more time one day and less time another day. Our problem today in the 21st century is not that we don't have enough time. Our problem, the reason we aren't achieving more of our significant results is that we have too many distractions. Yeah. Amen. And you can't solve a distraction problem with a time solution. So the antidote to distraction is attention. And so I think the first thing that we need to do is stop framing our productivity in terms of how we manage our time and instead frame it in terms of how we manage our attention. Absolutely. And and I would recommend listeners check out our, our previous interview about intention management. But just to, for a little teaser, could you share sort of like your, your top takeaway about attention management? Yeah, we often make unconscious calculations. So for example, most people sort of have come to this conclusion in their brain that my days are loud and distracting and everybody's interrupting me and the office is loud and I work in an open space and everybody's always dropping in on me and all this technology. And that's the reality. And so I just have to figure out how to get my work done in spite of that. But the truth is, we can exert more control over that than we do. We can control our environment. We can control our technology so that we can get that important work done during our workday. Because then the the calculation, right, is I have to figure out how to get my work done in spite of that. And so the conclusion that we come to is, well, the only time I can really get my work done is when all of that isn't happening. And the only time all of that isn't happening is 11 o'clock at night, 4 o'clock in the morning, Saturdays, Sundays. And so is it any wonder that we have a burnout epidemic right now in the business world because we're all working around the clock trying to get our work done when people aren't interrupting us, but we can control whether or not people interrupt us. And we just relinquish that control. Yeah. That's a powerful uh, reframe and reclaiming of the attention and the power and and the environment that makes a, a boatload of difference. So good stuff. Uh, I'd recommend folks listen to our, our previous conversation there. I'd like to chat about some of the insights from To Do, To Done and The Happy Inbox. But maybe first, could you give us a little bit of inspiration, some cool examples of folks who have put this empowered productivity system to work and achieved some significant results to them. And like, if, if folks are feeling burnt out or overwhelmed or hopeless, <laughs> give them some inspiration. Like what, what could be possible? Yeah, absolutely. I hear from people every day who 
who tell me that this process has really changed things for them. But the thing that comes to mind right now is a guy we've agreed to call him David because he was in trouble at work and he was uncomfortable using his real name because his, his at his job, you know, they had that sort of mentality that we have to do more with less. And so one of David's co-workers left And so the company said, well, we're not going to hire somebody else. We think you can do this, right? And so he just had to keep taking on more and more work. And as a result, he just kept falling farther and farther behind because like most people, he was managing his work with a combination of sticky notes, flagged emails, legal pads, Excel spreadsheets, dry erase boards, where he had all of the stuff that he was trying to keep track of. But if that's the way you manage your life, that's like trying to do a puzzle when all the pieces are scattered all over the house. It's just not an easy way. You might still be able to do the puzzle, but it's way harder and it it takes way more time. And so he learned my empowered productivity system. He learned all the components and what he found, because he got put on a performance improvement plan. His boss told him, look, where you're falling behind, you're not meeting your deadlines. You need to turn this around. And if you don't, then we're going to have to let you go. And so he got my books and he read them and he implemented what he learned. Not only did he catch up, but he found that he was going home early because he was getting all his work done and he was able to go home instead of 6, 6, 7 o'clock, it was more like 4, 4, 5 o'clock and stay on top of things. He was meeting his deadlines. He was able to manage up a little bit better. So when his boss came and said, hey, we want you to do this too, he was able to say, that's excellent. And I'm happy to do that. And did you know that you've already assigned me these 14 things? And so can you help me prioritize where I should put this new thing? And that often made his boss go, oh, oh, I forgot you were doing, oh, right. Oh, you've got that too. Oh, right. Well, maybe this isn't that important. Maybe we should put this on the back burner. So he was really able to manage the work that got thrown at him in addition to being able to manage the work he already had. So it was a huge success story. Mm-hmm. That, that's beautiful. Okay, cool. Well, so let's let's hear what are some of the, the key things that can, can make that happen. Why don't we start with the action management, since we've talked about attention management, how do we go about managing those actions? Yes. So the first step in managing your actions is recognizing that puzzle analogy, right? The reason that we don't do a puzzle with all the pieces scattered all over the house is because it takes more time. It takes more effort. It's more frustrating. Pieces would get lost. You don't have any context. You can't see the big picture. And for all those same reasons that it's not useful to do a puzzle with all the pieces scattered all over the house, it's not useful to manage your responsibilities, your actions, your tasks when some are in your head and some are on a sticky note and some are on a dry erase board and some are on a legal pad and some are appointments with yourself in your calendar. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to get a handle on all of these responsibilities. And basically they fall into two categories, things that have a strong relationship to time and things that have a weak relationship to time. So things that have a strong relationship to time, mean it means it's happening on a certain day, like somebody's birthday 
or it's happening on a certain day and at a certain time, like a meeting or an appointment. Those things have a strong relationship to time. It makes perfect sense to put those things on a calendar because that's a time-based tool. But we all have many, 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 many things that we need to do both personally and professionally that have what I call a weak relationship to time, meaning, you know, I got to do it soon. I, you know, I told that client I would call them back in a week or so, and I have to get that report in anytime between now and the end of the month. And either it has no due date, right? I have to make a dentist appointment, right? Either it has no due date or it has a due date, but that due date is at some point in the future. So for example, if it's due on Friday, Nobody cares and it doesn't matter if you do it on Tuesday at one or Wednesday at three or Thursday at seven. It doesn't matter. That has a weak relationship to time. As long as it's as you get it in by the due date, you get to decide when it gets done. And so those things that have a weak relationship to time, it's better to manage those things on a task list. Uh And I recommend that that task list be electronic because so a task manager and there are millions, right? There's Microsoft To Do, and there's Todoist, and there's OmniFocus. You know, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's OmniFocus, and there's Basecamp, and there's Asana, and there's right there's project management task tools, and there's personal task tools, and there's all these task tools. So using a tool is important, and keeping everything in that tool is really important. But also, a lot of people have put all their stuff in a tool. And then just sort of never looked at it again. And there's a variety of reasons why that might be. Either they weren't in the tool in a way that made it useful to you, or it just wasn't your habit to look at the tool. And so people say to me, oh, I'm just not used to seeing it in a tool and I forgot to look at it. So I had to go back to my piece of paper because I could put my piece of paper right there in front of me and always see it. Well, I think that's the wrong solution. You're right. It's it's a problem that you put everything in your task manager and then you're not looking at your task manager. That is a problem, but the solution isn't, therefore I should stop using my task manager and go back to the way I used to do it. The solution is, how can I remember? How can I create the habit of looking at my task tool and using my task tool? And there's a variety of ways. You could set a reminder, open your task list. You can, um, some people use Outlook. You could set Outlook to open to your task list instead of to your email, which a lot of people don't realize that. You could put a sticky note on your calendar that says open task list, you know, on your laptop screen that says open my task list. So those are a couple of reasons why having a tool is important, but then using a tool the right way is a place where people stumble. Well, and then I, I think that what's great here is is you're focusing not so much on, I think it'd be quite tempting to, maybe it's our attempt to alleviate our own dissonance to say, oh, I just, I must not be using the right tool. That's the thing. I need to switch. I, it's it's like, oh, Pete likes OmniFocus. That's the thing. I got to get on OmniFocus instead of, to do is just garbage. That's why I'm struggling. You know, and, and so my hunch, I'll give your read on this, is that, most often it's probably the the answer is probably not you got to change your task tool that's as in terms of like the core issue is that fair to say absolutely we can think about task tools like golf clubs right if your favorite pga pro gave you her golf clubs and said here are my clubs 
now you should be able to win the LPGA tour, right? Yeah. Or the PGA <laughs> tour. It's not the clubs that makes the difference. It's the way the pro uses the clubs that makes the difference. And so we say, oh, I have this tool, but it didn't change my life. So it must be a bad tool, like you said, right? Well, we wouldn't say that about golf clubs. What we do is we need to learn how to play golf. And then once we know how to play golf, then any tool will do any, you know, a good set of golf clubs is a good set of golf clubs. You're probably not going to play that differently if you use this brand or that brand. Okay, perfect. So so one key failure point with, with any number of task tools, I guess one is just not using it in, in the first place. Like you've got, a, a, I think a lot of folks don't use one and, and they think, oh, well, you know, I, I got my email inbox. That just sort of has the stuff I need to do. Mara, what, what do you think about that? Well, the problem with the email inbox is that, well, there's so many problems. Number one, your list of emails doesn't really tell you what do I need to do about this. So you put a flag on it and then you can view all of your flagged emails. But basically what you have is a list of email subject lines that doesn't tell you, well, what do I need to do and how important is it and how long is it going to take me and who asked me to do it? And so then you have to still read every email. I mean, how many times do you flag an email and people tell me this all the time, right? I flag an email and then I go to look for it and I read the flag and I, oh, what's this flagged email? Oh, right. It's that thing. Oh yeah. I'm still not going to do that now. <laughs> and so we read the same email over and over and over again, and we can't prioritize it. We can't recognize it quickly. What the task is. We can't put it in any sort of context in our email. And we all get lots of tasks that come to us in a form other than email. And so then people say, well, yeah, I just email myself. Well, awesome, because all of us just need more emails, right? That's that's what everybody sits around wishing is that they got more emails. So that's, it's just not a scalable solution. All right. So so first, use a task manager. Secondly, remember to look at it. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about my uh, interview with BJ Fogg, who wrote the book, Tiny Habits, which is awesome. So it sounds like you're saying a lot of people are just missing a trigger or a prompt. And so you could make up your own with a an alarm or, or try to get sort of like a habit established. Like as soon as I sit in the chair and touch my mouse, I open up the task manager or whenever I open Outlook, the task manager is the default. Any other key like triggers or rituals or, or, or times and placements that, that seem to work well for people? Yes. I think the most important thing, I'm so glad you brought up habits, is to recognize that it is the habits. We do habits without thinking. And so that leads us to these calculations that aren't really conscious, right? People say to me, for example, oh yeah, I, I was using the Outlook task list for a while, but I realized it was too small. Those little lines on the screen were too small and I couldn't really read them very well. So I stopped using Outlook. But they didn't really... In the moment, they didn't say, hmm, this isn't serving me because the font is too small. What's the best solution for that? They just sort of, I don't like that, so I'm not going to use it. I, I need to stop using that. Because you can change the font size, for example, right? <laughs> but we, we make these unconscious calculations because they are so closely tied to our habits, and we do habits without thinking. And so we need to make the unconscious conscious. And like you said, there are 
a variety of ways. And BJ might have talked about the habitual cues, right? Habits are related to five different habitual cues. And probably I shouldn't go down that rabbit hole, but recognizing becoming more aware of our habits is the first step to changing them. Five cues. Tell me more, Mara. <laughs> yes. The, the five habitual cues, the five things that sort of cause us to engage in habits. One is the immediately preceding action. So whenever I do this, then I will do that, right? Another of, of the habitual cues is the the time of day that it is. So some people really, myself personally, I crave coffee first thing in the morning, but I feel disgusted by the thought of coffee at three o'clock in the afternoon. Blech, coffee, no. So the time of day can be related to something. Your emotional state. So for example, some people eat when they're stressed. Some people don't eat when they're stressed. So your emotional state has, uh, there are habits around that. Another of the habitual cues is other people. So for example, some people behave differently when they are around childhood friends or college friends. Or if you, personally, I smoked for a bit in college. And so when I was around my college roommates, I had the urge to smoke. <laughs> but if they weren't around, then I didn't even think about cigarettes. So those are the habitual cues. And if you can recognize the more cues that are involved in a habit, the stronger the habit tends to be. And so if you can analyze, okay, what time of day when I do this? What, you know, what's the immediately preceding action? Who else is here? What's my emotional state? And the location is the fifth one. So where are you when you engage in a habit? So for example, some people um, smoke only when they go to a bar, if since we're talking about smoking, right? So the more of the habitual cues you can identify around a habit, then you have more chance of disrupting the habit. So you can, for example, if you always check your email at your desk first thing in the morning, maybe you should work, um, try working in a different chair first thing in the morning. And then maybe you won't have the urge to check your email if you think that is interfering with your productivity, for example. And here's a hint, it does. <laughs> Checking your email first thing in the morning is often a challenge to our productivity because it sets us on that rabbit trail, right? It, it sets us up to do whatever happens to us. I have these things that I wanted to do, but now there's this email and somebody wants me to do that and somebody else wants me to do that. And now this is all happening. And so now my plans go out the window. But the more habitual cues that are involved in a habit, the more opportunity you have to disrupt the habit and change it into something that's more productive for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so so right, right up front with action management, get it out of the email inbox, get it into a tool of sorts. There's a ton, probably doesn't need to stress too much exactly which one that you, you settle in on. Put the stuff in there and remember to look at it via some sort of a cue prompt trigger of, of sorts. Any other kind of quick pro uh, tips, uh, top do's and don'ts when it comes to action management? Yes. The way that we write things on our list makes a huge difference in whether or not we will actually do it. So we need to recognize that the hardest part of anything is getting started. And so if we know that, then we know that if we can make things easier to start, 
then we are more likely to keep going. So what I tell, what I recommend in the book from to do to done is start every task on your list with an action verb, Mm -hmm. but make sure that it's really actionable. Make sure that it's really clear. Not only is it an action verb, because there's actionable action verbs and then there's vague action verbs, right? There's like implement. Mm -hmm. Synergize. Right? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It makes you go, uh, uh, what now? (laughs) But if you say email or if you say call or if you say enter the data into the spreadsheet, like for example, I tell people don't say research competitors. Instead, Google marketing agencies in Texas, for example, right? Because research competitors makes you go, oh, might go into the library. Like, is the Dewey Decimal System involved here? What's what's going on right now? Or, and probably a lot of your listeners don't even know what the Dewey Decimal System is. That's oh, how old I am, I know. Pete. 158.1 is my favorite Dewey Decimal <laughs> number. I'm with you. That is how old I am. Yeah. But the more specific you can be, the more likely you are to take an action. Because the truth is we all gravitate toward the fast and easy things on our task list and we leave the big, hard sounding stuff until later. So if we can make everything sound fast and easy, then we are more likely to get it done. And the truth is to be awesome at your job, you know, you, you want to get more done, more of the important stuff done. So if you can take that big, important stuff, break it down, write it down in a way that is very specific and very easy. For example, instead of saying, write the article, say, identify the three major points of the article. That feels easier. But once I identify those three major points, then that's going to get me rolling. And then I'm more likely to keep going. Lovely. Okay. Well, so let's hear a little bit about email. One thing you recommend not checking at the very beginning of the day, it gets you in the groove of doing what is happening to you as opposed to, you know, rocking and rolling your vision and priorities. So what else? If folks are overwhelmed by email, there's just too much. What do we do? Yes. Many things. So first thing is treat your email inbox as a place to receive messages and process messages, not as a place to store messages. The inbox is not the for inbox storing. The inbox is not for storing. It's for receiving and processing. Okay. That's right. Because the more, once you just read it and leave it there, then it just becomes clutter. And people say, oh, but if it's already read, I know that I've handled it. But are you sure you've handled it? And then even if you have, there's still all of this stuff that is in there kind of clogging up and feeling overwhelming. People don't recognize how much stress they're under until they're not under it anymore. And I can't tell, so I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, I don't care that there's 8,752 messages in my email inbox. The only ones I care about are the 10 at the top that are unread. And I say, okay, but just try it my way. Just set up your filter. If you're using Gmail through your browser, then set it up so you only see unread. Or if you're using any other client, once you've read it, just move it. Just pick another folder called like saved emails or something, read emails, call it whatever you want. Call it old emails, call it archive, call it whatever you want. And once you've read it and dealt with it, move it over there. And I cannot tell you how many of those people who start out by saying, oh, it doesn't matter that I have 8,000 messages. 
And I tell them, just try it. And then they like tweet me pictures of their empty inbox with balloons and confetti because they're so excited that they were actually able to get their inbox to zero. Now, I do think that processing your email is important, but I don't want people to translate that, that I believe that every email deserves your attention. It doesn't. Every email does not deserve your attention. So first tip is use your inbox for receiving and processing only, not for storing. Second tip is that filtering is really important. Set creating rules and unsubscribing and marking things as junk that you don't want and potentially using another tool that you can get those random emails that maybe you want, maybe you don't, but they don't clutter up your primary inbox. So a tool that I really like is called Throttle. There's another similar one called Bulk Club, but both of these give you a browser plugin where you can create kind of a a throwaway email address. So if you have to sign up for something or whatever, and so any message that goes to that address goes over here, that you can go review that and you can get a daily digest once a day that says, here's everything that went into that inbox. You could forward things to your inbox if you want to, but the point is it gets all of that stuff that I'm not really sure if I want this. Maybe it's probably not urgent. It's not work-related, but maybe I want it. You can get all of that out by using another tool like one of those. Another thing is to consider creating a rule that says any message where I'm in the CC line instead of in the two line goes over here into this folder. Because if you're in the CC line, it's probably just FYI. You can probably just sort of peruse those, you know, skim them at your convenience. If you're in the two line, it's probably to you and it's important and you need to read it. So if you filter, if you unsubscribe, if you use one of those services and get a daily digest, then the volume of email that you receive goes way down. And so then the time that you have to take to keep your email box, to stay on top of your email box also goes way down. Lovely. Okay. So that after reducing the volume in, in these ways, any way that we can actually go about doing the the processing faster, we, we, I've, we've heard a few times to do so at specific scheduled times, as opposed to in the background all day long is, is one big thing that's been a theme on the show. How else do you recommend we, we process emails optimally? Yeah. So when it's time, to deal with your email, I think the most important tip. So I think that that advice to batch process, right? Certain times of the day, instead of all day long, leaving your email open and reading everyone as it arrives. I think that advice doesn't quite go far enough. I think that the next step you have to take is when you decide now it's time to deal with my email for the next, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is, you have to stop all of the new messages from arriving. Hmm. So inbox pause, work offline, fetch manual, right? This is all sort of email tech terminology, right? That says, stop sending me messages. Because every time you read a message, by the time you've finished reading it, now you got a new one. <laughs> so then you read that one, and by the time you finish reading it, now you got a new one. And so you can never get to the other messages that came in, you know, 15 minutes ago because you're only reading the one that came in this minute and the next minute and the next minute. So when it's time to process your messages, 
stop. Stop the new messages from arriving. Deal with what's there. And then you should get to zero if you've moved all those old messages out, like I advised first. Then you download your messages, stop any more from coming in, deal with what's there, and then move on to something else. Leave your inbox paused, move on to something else, close it even, do your tasks, and then the next hour or two hours or whenever you decide it's time again, unpause, get all the messages, pause. Mm-hmm. Deal with what's there, move on to something else. So when I tell people, check your email as often as you feel like you need to. Just do it in between other things, not during other things. That's lovely. That's lovely. That like You don't even have the option to have an email pop in and, and say, oh, oh, let's see what this is about. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, well, well so tell me, uh, before we shift gears and hear about your favorite things, any other sort of critical practices you recommend? I'm thinking about, um, I think about Chris Bailey here, who, who talks about the ROI of different productivity advice in terms of minutes saved over minutes required to do the thing. Have you discovered that there are a couple practices that are just massively profitable in terms of the, the, the time or attention ROI they yield for you? Yes. Now, there are certainly some, a few exceptions to this rule, but in general, not checking your email inbox first thing in the morning can often provide massive returns. Because if you just work uninterrupted for the first 60, 90 minutes of your day and tackle those important things on your task list, then even if the whole rest of the day is lost to the rabbit trail of meetings and emails and communications and back and forth, and then at least at the end of the day, you'll still be able to say, but I got that stuff done. It was still a good day. Lovely. Okay, cool. Anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about your favorite things? I think most of my favorite things are related to productivity, so hopefully they'll be useful too. Let's do it. How about a favorite quote? <laughs> it's not the moments in your life that matter. It's the life in your moments that matter. And I wish I could find who said that first, but I have been unsuccessful, so maybe I said it first. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Gloria Mark's research out of UC Irvine that shows that on average, we switch what we're doing about every three minutes and five seconds. My gosh, you can't even toast bread in three minutes and five seconds. How can we get any meaningful work done in three minute increments? And how about a favorite book? My favorite book is called Focus, The Hidden Driver of Excellence by Daniel Goleman. It's a really powerful book about our brains. Yeah. And favorite tool? Two tools tied for first, but they're both from the same company. The company's called Doist, and they make Todoist, my favorite task manager. They also make a group communication tool called Twist that I use with my team and love it. And I think it's better than the ones that are more commonly used. Well, I'm intrigued. What makes Twist better than Slack? Twist is built for asynchronous communication. Okay. And I think the problem with Slack isn't necessarily the tool. I think it's the way that it's primarily used, which is as a synchronous device. Everybody just chats everybody all day long and everybody is 
allowing those notifications all day long. And so we end up just constantly distracted. But Twist was built on the idea that asynchronous is more efficient and that very few things really need to be addressed right now. All righty. And a favorite habit? Single tasking, for sure. Doing one thing at a time and being present in the thing. All right. And is there a key nugget you share that people really connect with and quote back to you often? There are two, um, if I could squeeze them in real quick. One is when I teach people to shut off their email notifications, which seems pretty obvious, but you'd be amazed at how many people still aren't doing it. Because here's the thing. Do you really need a notification to tell you that you have new email? <laughs> Let me end the suspense for you right now. You have new email. <laughs> Right? At any minute of any day, it is safe to assume you have new mail. So those constant notifications are so damaging. So just shut them off. That's the first thing that people quote back to me. You made me realize I don't need a notification to tell me I have new email. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is to block out 10 minutes per hour of meeting in your calendar so that you can collect your thoughts and, you know, capture your action items and reflect on what happened and just make a conscious shift into your next thing. It makes your days much less hectic and it makes you more awesome at your job. All righty. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? morathomas.com. Whether you can find articles on my blog, you can write on the homepage, you can sort of get to whatever suits your need, whether it's my books or free articles on my blogs or individual training or corporate training, it's all right there, morathomas.com. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Yes. You have a choice. You can live a life of reaction and distraction, or you can live a life of intention and choice. And the decision is up to you. All right, Maura, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and success and productivity and all your adventures. Thanks for having me, Pete. It's nice to see you. Boy, the thing that really struck me the most within this conversation was that notion that you don't know the stress you're under until it's gone. And I can relate to that. And I think that's really intriguing to try and say, hmm, what's something that's maybe a little bit stressful? Maybe it's actually a lot of it stressful. You don't even know. So it could very well be worth your time to run an experiment, try to tackle it, see how you feel afterwards. And the returns may be far greater than you estimated. So great stuff from Maura. The show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP726. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.